Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Welcome to Fresh Encounter, the radio ministry of Lifelong Anointing Church. Our mission as a church is to equip the body of Christ to increase in wisdom and in stature, and in favor with God and with men. We're glad that you joined us for this edition of the broadcast. It is our prayer that this broadcast will be a blessing to you. Here now is Pastor Otuno with today's message. Back to the basics, and that will be understanding the foundational doctrines that we at Lifelong Anointing Church believes in. Now, I'll start by letting us, you know, by giving us some preambles. And one of the preambles is that the Oxford University crests, Oxford University in, in, uh, in England, the crest depicts an open book with seven seals. An open book with seven seals. You know, so you can see that. And written on the pages of the open books are the words, Dominus Illuminatio Mir. In other words, it simply means, the Lord is my light. And this particular word, this particular word is taken from the book of Psalm 27, verse 1. Say, the Lord is my light and my salvation, whom shall I fear? Okay? That is where that word came from. And that is what is on that particular crest of that university. Many of the great universities and centers of higher learnings in the world were originally founded with Christian intent. An example of that kind of uh, school here in the U.S., is the Harvard University, which was founded shortly after the pilgrims landed in, Pil- uh, in, in Plymouth in uh, 1636. John Harvard, which was a young preacher at that time, left his university and half of his estate to the university. And the official university motto that was adopted by the university in 1692 reads, Veritas Christus et Ecclesia. In other words, it simply means truth. For Christ and the church. That was what was on the crest of the that was what was on the university logo at that point in time. And one of the interesting things is that on that particular there was a there was a book of learning that every you know that every university student that was every student that was at, attending Harvard at that point in time, this was consistent with their original version and its educational purpose contained in the rule and process of 1646. That rule of process says everybody who is coming to Harvard must, particu- must accept this particular thing. And let me read it to you. That's what is on the, on the screen right now. So let every student be plainly instructed and earnestly pressed to consider well the main end of his life and study is to know God and Jesus Christ, which is eternal life. And therefore to lay Christ at the bottom as the only foundation of all sound knowledge and learning. And seeing the Lord's only... And seeing the Lord only gives wisdom, let everyone seriously set himself to pray in secret to seek it of him. Now, this was the desire of the founding fathers of Harvard University. Okay? And it was no, you know, this was known, it was uh, no, for their, it, the intention for their student was that they would know not just Christ, but they would make him known to the whole world. That was the intention of the people who started it. The interesting thing is that today, if you go to the Harvard University campus, what you will see is a school that is totally, completely opposed to everything that looks like Christ. 
everything that supports Christ is completely opposed to on that campus right now. The motto of of uh, of, uh, of Harvard University at that time, you will see the crests. This is the crest at that time. You will see Christus et Ecclesia written in the middle of it, which simply means for Christ and the church. Now, the new the, the, the Harvard is now tired of that. They, 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 they've gone away from that particular crest right now. This is their new crest. And it simply says veritas, which means truth. Truth for what? Nobody knows. Thereby eliminating the reference to the church and the reference to Christ. Okay? So that is what is going on right now. Now, let's leave the universities alone for a second and look at the churches. One of the old churches in this country is the Presbyterian Church. Presbyterian Church USA. Prior to 2011, ministers, elders, and deacons of the Presbyterian Church were required to affirm a constitutional requirement for office. And that constitutional requirement states this. It says, those who are called to the office in the church are led uh, are to lead a life of obedience to scripture and in conformity to the historic confessional standards of the church. Among these standards are the requirement to leave, uh, to leave either in infidelity within the covenant of marriage between a man and a woman or chastity in singleness. That was what they all, as ministers and as uh, lay leaders, were supposed to agree to before you are, you know, before you are ordained into the ministry in the Presbyterian Church. That was before 2011. Now, see, that statement continues. A person's refusing to repent of any self-acknowledged practice, which the confession calls sin, shall not be ordained or shall be installed or shall not be ordained and or installed as deacons, elders, or ministers of the word and sacrament. In other words, if you don't agree or you do not subscribe to that particular uh, con uh, confession, you will not be ordained as a minister or as an elder or, or as a deacon in the Presbyterian Church USA. But in 2011, the Presbyterian Church USA changed that requirement. They approved an amendment that will remove the constitutional requirement that all ministers, elders, and deacons live in fidelity within the covenant of marriage between a man and a woman or chastity in singleness. In other words, it's no longer important for you to be for you to be for you for, for fidelity in marriage. It's no longer important for you to live a life a life of chastity. It's no longer important for you to live a life that is pleasing unto God. This was a standard that was a, that has been this was a standard that had been in existence for over a hundred years. And all, all of a sudden, in 2011, God changed His mind and said sin was no longer sin. Okay. <laughs> A number of other denominations are now considering the same amendment to their ordination standards. The same can be said for pastors who have preached the word of God for years. And all of a sudden, they just start changing their mind and the word of God no longer is the standard that it used to be. You have individuals who used to believe that God, the word of God is true. And for some reason, they went along the way and something happened. The word of God no longer makes, you know, it's no longer what, it's, you know, what it used to be. The question that comes to mind is, how did we get to this point? How did the universities get to where they were, where their original founding uh, documents are no longer relevant, where they take the word of God and they strip it out of their out of their out of their founding documents? How did the churches get to the point where they no longer respect the word of God, where they no longer take the word of God seriously? How do individuals get to the point where they no longer believe that the word of God says what it means and means what it says? How did we get to the point where we are no longer believing in the word that we you know? That started that that uh, that got us to where we are. 
How did this happen? How did these people miss the mark? What happened? How can those of us who are eyewitnesses to all these things that is going on around us, how can we as individuals preserve the truth of the word of God that we have believed? How can we preserve it? How can we uphold it? How can we make sure that we do not go in the same direction that others have gone? That is the subject of what we'll be talking about, not just today, but for the next several weeks. And before we go into that, I want you to bow your head and just talk to the Almighty God. Now, Father, help me, O God, that I will not destroy that which I have built over the years. That, Lord Almighty, I will not destroy the faith, O God, that you have given me the grace to be able to embrace. That, Father, I will not go back to begin to embrace the things that I have rejected in the past. Help me, O God, that I will not begin to be like the dog that will return to its own vomit in the name of Jesus. Help me, O God, that I will not be able to, and I will not be one of those people who will backslide into the things that I've rejected in the past. I bless your name and will thank you. To you be all the glory. In Jesus' name we have prayed. In Jude chapter 1, we want to, you know, that we read for our Bible reading. The Bible tells us that Jude was giving some very interesting things. Jude, in verse reading from verse number 1, the Bible says, Jude, the servant of the Lord Jesus Christ and brother of James, to them that are sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ and called mercy unto you and peace and love be multiplied. Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that ye should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. For there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men, turning the grace of our law of our God into lasciviousness and denying our Lord God and our that denying the denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. I will therefore put you in remembrance, though you were you were you once knew this. How that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed them that believed not. In the above verse of the scripture, Jude had you know Jude had intended to write a letter to the children to the to the to the to the, uh, to the, to the church in that particular area. He had intended to write to them about the common salvation of all believers. But for some reason, his attention was shifted away into something else. Okay, His attention began, he, he, now, he now decided to write on something to call them to battle, to call them to stand for the truth, to call them to be able to say that yes, there is a danger that is inside the church of the living God. And that danger is that there are people who have arrived, people who call themselves teachers of the word of God, who have now arrived in the world... Who have not arrived in the church, and their intention is to be able to draw the draw the people of God away. While while he was while he was not the people he was talking to were not really in danger of being you know of being drawn away from the from the word of God. But Jude thought it was necessary for him to let them know that there is a danger that what you have received, what your forefathers have given unto you, what you have, what other people have worked so hard to accomplish in your life, it is very very possible for you to lose those things if you are not paying attention. It is possible for you to be able to throw away the heritage that you have received if you are not paying attention. And this loss can be possible because of false teachers who will come in into the church misleading the people to hearing a different kind of gospel. 
He charged the Christian to earnestly contend for the faith. In other words, for them to fight for the faith that they received. For them to fight to preserve the body of knowledge, the body of truth that God has delivered into their hands. His intention was to let them know, if you are not ready to fight for it, then you might not be able to keep it. The question is, why was Jude issuing this call? And why are we talking about it today? There were so many people who had believed that the prosperity that this nation enjoys will last forever. There are people who believe that everything that we used to have will continue to be from now until eternity comes. But unless we are willing to preserve it, unless we are willing to keep and fight for what you have been given, there is a tendency that you might not be able to preserve it. Okay? And that is one of the things that was said when, you know, back home in Nigeria when we when you, there is a word that is given to our people and they say that the child that is not trained is the child that sells the property that the father had worked for a child that is not properly trained will take the investments of the parents and mismanage it and that is what is happening not just to us as a nation but it's happening to us even in the church of God why was Jude therefore writing issuing this call to the church because there has been an infiltration in the church by false teachers pretending to be true but their goal is to lead the people of God astray there are people who have entered the church there are people who have come into the church pretending to be good, pretending to be holy, pretending to be people who have the interest of God at heart, but they are only interested in themselves and what they intend to eat. Jude went on to give us a grief description of these people. He said, who are these people? He said, number one, they are ungodly men. Verse four, for there are certain men crept in unaware who were before of old, of the, who were of before of old ordained to this condemnation. Ungodly men. Their action, their behavior, their attitude, their disposition, everything shows that they are ungodly. Number two, what are these people? Who are these people? They are people who perverse the grace of God, who take the grace of God for granted and, and you and misuse it. Number three, they are people who deny the deity of our Lord Jesus Christ, deny the only God and our Lord Jesus Christ. These are people who even tell you that there are no more than one way into getting into kingdom of into, into, into unto salvation. They are the people who tell you that the name of Jesus is not enough. They are the people who tell you that Jesus Christ was not who he said he was, but he was just any other kind of person. These are ungodly men, men who perverse the grace of God, and men who deny the deity of Christ. In this very short verse, for short book of the Bible, Jude was saying, protect the truth of the word of God that you have been, that have been committed into your hand. Because if you don't, there are those who will seek to pervert and corrupt it. And unless you are able to preserve it, they will corrupt it. You have heard me say before, if the enemy cannot help, you know, cannot stop you from following the Lord, he will make sure he stops you from making progress. If he cannot stop you from making progress, he will find a way to corrupt what you are doing. He will always find a way to corrupt what you are doing. And that is why if he cannot stop a farmer from planting, he will make sure the farmer does not plant enough. If he cannot stop the farmer from planting enough, he will make sure that the seed that the farmer is about to plant, that seed is corrupted, so that the seed will not grow, will not germinate. And that is the intention of the that is the intention of the of, of the devil. And beauty saying, protect the truth of the word of God that have been committed into your hands. The big question now is how do you contend for the faith? How do you protect it? How do you protect that which has been committed into your care? The easiest way you can protect what you have is to be able to know what you have. Because you cannot protect what you don't know. You cannot protect what you do not identify. 
If you don't know the truth, you cannot protect it. The easiest way to protect the truth is to know the truth. How do you contend for the faith? How do you protect that which is committed into your care? You do it by knowing the truth. And the problem with our society today is that it is very difficult to determine what the truth is. Because everybody considers that their truth is important. Your truth is important, my truth is important The truth is a question of how you define it So, today truth is considered to be relative You hear people say that your truth Is not, you know, what is true for you Might not be true for me, okay And if you insist that truth is absolute If you insist that certain things are universally true If you insist that certain things are the, This is the way certain things have to be done If you insist on absolute truth You are considered to be intolerant You are considered to be narrow-minded And you are considered to be a bigot And I always ask the question there is only one way to put oil in this bottle. Is that also? Only one way. You can argue for seven other ways, but there's only one way to put it in here. If I insist that there's only one way to put oil in this bottle, does that make me a bigot? No. It simply means I'm stating the fact. There is something we used to say back home. What is not good is not good. There is no other name you call it. Okay? Taking another man's wife is not good. There's no other way you call it. That's the way we... There's a saying like that at home. What is not good is not good. There are some absolute truths that cannot be negotiated. Okay? And if you insist on those particular absolute truths in our society today, you are seen as an ignorant, an intolerant, narrow-minded bigot. So how do we know the truth? How do we know the truth? The Bible tells in the book of James, John chapter 8, reading from verse number 32... John, John chapter 8, reading from verse number 32, the Bible says, And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. But in John chapter 14, the Bible describes what the truth is. John chapter 14, reading from verse number 6, he says, Jesus said unto him, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. In other words, the truth that will set you free is not a, is not a thing, it's a person. From the verse of the scripture, we are sure the sure way to know the truth is to know the person of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ because He is the truth. It is when you know the truth that is when He, Jesus Christ, can set you free. To know the truth is to know the person of our Lord Jesus Christ. And many here that is sitting here today will agree that knowing Jesus means knowing the truth. But the question still remains in our society, how do you know the truth? How do you know the truth? John chapter 5. Reading from verse number 39, the Bible tells us, says, Search the scriptures. Search the scriptures. For in them you think you have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. In other words, if you want to know the truth, if you want to know who Jesus is, it says, Search the scriptures. Because that is it is in that particular scriptures that you see the testimonies of our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, so how do we know the truth about the gospel message? How do we know the truth that has been committed into our care? The one way we know it is by reading the scriptures, by going to the original instruction and finding out what the Lord has given unto us. Going back to the Bible. If we want to know the truth about the gospel message, we simply go back to the Bible. Going back to the Bible, we discover the original instruction that God has given unto us. The question is, why do we need to go back to the Bible? Especially in this day and age. Many of us have heard all sorts of, uh, you know, all sorts of preaching. You know, we've heard all sorts of messages from different sources. Why do we need to go back to the basis? The first reason we go back to the basis is because there's a widespread departure from the message of the gospel. A widespread departure. 
I don't know if you have the opportunity, but if you do have the opportunity, if you can look for a book that was written 50 to 100 years ago and compare it to what is written now on the same subject, you will be wondering which kind of universe are we living right now. If you listen to the messages that I preached 50 years ago and listen to the same message right now, you will find out that they are two completely different things, talking about the same issue, but they are completely different. If you have the opportunity to listen, if you are the one that drives to work every morning and you listen to the Christian radios, I can tell you, you, will li- you, you may listen to the messages for the next six months and nobody will talk about sin. Nobody will talk about hell. Nobody will talk about the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Nobody is going to talk about the issue of the fact that if you do not live a life that is pleasing to the Almighty God, there is a judgment for sin. Nobody talks about it. The only thing we hear right now is the prosperity and the good thing that God is going to do for us. How we are so special to God that God will no longer be God if we refuse to come to church. You know, those are the things that you are going to continue to hear. So we are going back to the basis because of the widespread departure from the message of the gospel. We are going back to the basics. We are trying to go back into the word of God to see what it teaches us because of the distortion of the truth of the gospel message. The distortion of the truth of the message. If you hear what is coming out of the mouth of some of the preachers today, you will wonder if they are preaching the same gospel. And the interesting thing is that if you insist on preaching the gospel, they look at you as a dinosaur. What's wrong with this man? Where is he coming from? You appear as if you are the person who has something wrong with your head. Because they look at you as something is definitely wrong with this man. Who preaches this kind of things in these days? So, because of the distortion of the truth, that's why we're going back to the basics. Because of the deception from the pulpit, that's why we're going back to the basics. The deception that comes from the pulpit is that because the pastor wants to continue to maintain his job, he wants to continue to maintain his congregation, he will not tell the people what they need to hear. He will not tell them what will make their life go from where they are to where they need to be. You keep promising them that when they give, they're going to receive this, they're going to receive this, but the result is not showing up. So what happens? Is it that you are a liar or God is a liar? Who is the liar among the two of us? The distortion from the pulpit it is why we need to go back to the basics and read the scriptures and find out what is the Lord teaching us what is the Lord telling us and then there is also the delusion from the pool from the pew the delusion from the pew the Bible tells us in the book of Ezekiel it said if the if the if the watchman blows an uncertain sound he said the people will be confused in other words if today we say that Jesus is the way and you have to live a life that is separate and then tomorrow we come back we say in order to reach them we have to be like them what are we saying is it to live a life apart from the world or to live a life that is included in the world? Which one is it? Which is which? When the poopy, when the preachers are giving messages that are confusing to the people, the, the, the pews will be deluded. That's the members of the church will become confused. They don't know what to believe. And because they don't know what to believe, they, be, they are deluded into believing that they are going to heaven when they are not even started the journey. Many believe that they are Christians when they don't even know Christ. Many believe that they are going to heaven when they have not even signed the contract, when they don't even have a relationship with the Almighty God. There is a delusion in the pulpit. People believe that they are good when they have no relationship with the Almighty God. Good without God is zero, if you spell it. It's zero. There's nothing left in it. So, when, the, when there is delusion in the pulpit, when people believe that they are working with God, when they have not even established that relationship, there is a need for us to go back and let us, and set the standard straight and say, this is what it means to work with the Almighty God. That's why we are going back to the basics. That's why we are going back to the basics. And then because of the destruction of the testimony of our Lord Jesus Christ, you look at the way believers live. Look at the way pastors live. Look at the way ministers live. And people look at them and wonder, if this is a pastor, why do I want to be a Christian? 
if this is a Christian, why do I want to go to church? If you look at many people, they ask the question, why do you know, if you ask them, why don't you come to church? They say, oh, a lot of all the, all the, all the Christians, most of the Christians are hypocrites. Are they lying? Most of us are hypocrites. Most of us behave in such a way that you look at us and say, I don't want to have this kind of God that you are serving. It's because of the destruction of the testimony of our Lord Jesus Christ. That is why we need to go back to the Bible and find out what does it mean to walk with the Lord. Now, because of this departure, the distortion, the deception, the delusion and destruction, you know, happening around us, you know, and the misunderstanding of what is going on in the church, that is why we need to be able to go back and do what? And look at the basis again. But all these things happen for two reasons. Just two reasons. And because of the misunderstanding of these two things, there has been a big problem, not just in the church, but in our society today. Two reasons. Two words, sorry. The misunderstanding of two words has created a lot of problems, not just in the society, but within the church. And the first word that was misunderstood is the word relevance. The word relevance. Okay? Let me give you a scenario before we continue. If a, cha- if a particular patient, assuming you are a doctor, and the patient has diabetes, or has a heart condition, and the patient insists on taking Tylenol only, because that is the only thing that he believes is going to take care of him. Do you think that patient will ever get well? Okay? If a patient insists in order for the you know in order for the doctor to continue to effectively serve that patient, and which medication do you think the doctor will prescribe? Is he going to continue to allow the, the patient to continue to take Tylenol or give him something that will cure the diabetes or the heart blood pressure? Okay? In other words, it is not whether your the, the issue of your the, the issue that we are talking about doesn't require medical you know doesn't require you to go to medical school before you know that taking Tylenol only will not solve your diabetic problem. Okay, taking Tylenol alone will not solve your heart, heart disease problem. Tylenol will only deal with what with the, with, the, with your aches and pain. It will not deal with your heart, heart trouble. The same thing. For some reason, we have been made to think that relevance means acceptance and popularity. Tylenol is popular. Okay? Tylenol is accepted by all. Tylenol is what you can walk into the counter and get without any prescription. But the fact that Tylenol is popular and the, Tylenol, the fact that Tylenol is acceptable by everybody does not mean that it is relevant to the every situation of our lives. But relevance implies. What does relevance mean? Relevance means that it's a close logical relationship with an importance to the to a subject matter. If we are discussing a particular issue, whatever is relevant to that issue, that is what whatever is important, whatever is logically related to that issue that we're talking about, that is what is relevant. If a man is if a man you know a man is broke, he needs money. The what is most relevant to his situation is to get him a job. You can give him money at that point in time, it will solve one or two problems, but you will not solve his underlying problem. Relevance is what is closely related, what is logically closely related to the issue at hand. Something, must, something might be popular and socially acceptable, but it is not necessarily logically related to the matter under, 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 under consideration. Christianity deals with the sins of men. It deals with our relationship with God. It has nothing to do with popularity or social acceptance. Christianity doesn't have anything to do with it. Yes, it might be popular, but the basis of our Christian faith is to, number one, to deal with the issue of sin in our life and to deal with the relationship with God. Now, Christianity ran into problem when relevance was confused for acceptance and popularity. 
Everybody wants to be popular. The church wanted to be popular. The church wanted to be accepted. And because they confused the relevance of the message with popularity, they now began to say things that had nothing to do with Christianity. It is good to be rich. It is good to be popular. But that is not the essence of our faith. I remember having an argument back when I was still back at home. There was a preacher who told me, he said, the, the, the purpose... Of the of the of the of the of the preacher is to be is to is is to motivate his people. I said I disagree. The pastor can motivate, no question. But the job of the pastor is to hear the word of God and tell the people what the Lord is saying. His job is to be able to take the word of God and interpret and let and speak it to the people, not just to motivate them. There are times he's going to say things that are not going to be happy, that people are not going to be happy with. There are times he's going to preach things that are not convenient. There are times he's going to say things that are very hard. His job is not just to motivate. His job is to be able to communicate the truth of the word of God. And we went into other argument where at the end of the day, everybody's still where they belong. Thank you very much for listening to our program today. We invite you to join us every Sunday at 10 a.m. for our Sunday worship service at 2711 Murfreesboro Road in Antioch, Tennessee. We also host Bible study and prayer meetings every Friday at 7 p.m. Visit us online at www.lifelonganointing.com and on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. Join us next time for another edition of Fresh Encounter. On behalf of Lifelong Anointing Church, we thank you for listening.